Welcome to the Crash Courts Podcast. Matt, John, Steve, doing the usual thing that they do every week. Who was that masked man? Someone was sitting in Steve's seat. Steve, you missed it. Some guy was doing the intro this week. Oh, I missed him? Yeah, he's oh. already gone. Dang. He I was really a... odd, wasn't he? He I... was a little odd. Yeah. I got a lock of his hair. <laughs> Are you going to throw it down a well and make a wish? No. No. You just gotta hold it. on to it and be yeah. weird, because well, I'm actually gonna do you collect testing. locks of people's hair, apparently. Because this is what they never do in, like, superhero anything. They don't ever, ever take all the blood that Spider-Man, you know, shed and test it for Wait, DNA. are you saying he was a superhero? Yes, he was. Wow. He's a pretty superhero. find out what his name was. He's a pretty superhero. He kind of showed up, reco- we hit record, and then he vanished. Anyway. That's probably his only power. <laughs> probably to disappear on command. That's right. Probably. To disappear on command. <laughs> That'd be the lamest superpower ever. That's or pretty the best. cool, yes. Um, He's only invisible when nobody's looking. <laughs> so welcome again to another week. Um, last night was the 24... As we were recording, last night was the 24-hour musicals, a project that I was only a guest of last year, and I actually uh, worked at this year. Um, I've become good friends with all of the members of the 24-hour company who produced the plays and the musicals. Um, so I got to work work the overnight this year, making sure the writers and the composers were able to come up with enough content for the next morning. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It was great. There was money raised. The musicals were a lot of fun. They were Most of them were very well written. We had some big stars. Actually, one of the surprising stars that we had, one of the performers, I can't remember her name. I'm blanking on it now. But it was one of the original members of the Weather Girls who sang It's Raining Men was one of the performers in one of the musicals, which was kind of awesome. And they actually worked into the musical she was in, her singing a line of it and then going, no, no, stop, stop, which was meta and fun. <laughs> meta and fun. Exactly. Not all yes. meta things are fun. That's Not true. all fun things are meta. That's also true. That's, yeah. But there's usually enough overlapping to make them almost synonymous. Well, now that we've identified exactly what it was and what it wasn't. Um... But it was a lot of fun and it, it was a, there were great performances all around um, and I had a great time. And I'm looking forward to actually being a part of the the L.A. Uh, broad, uh, not Broadway, but the L.A. 24-hour plays, which are over the summer. I'm going to be flying out with Sarah to be a part of that, which will be a lot of fun, too, because they get all the big like sitcom writers and sitcom stars to do it, so they're a little goofier, which is always fun. I thought it was pretty goofy, actually. Well, the, the musicals often lead more towards goofy because it's easier to write a musical that's funny on short notice than to write a sweeping drama. It's been done, but it's not as easy. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it was great. And, I'm uh, more, more curious to see the, the, the sweeping dramas, just because there have been that a few so ambitious. They've done some serious ones that 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 are that have gone very well, and it's just the only thing that's a shame about the 24-hour plays and musicals is that it's it's all contained within this, and you'll like these songs you'll probably never hear again, and they were really good a lot of them. Um, well, but, it was one but of my it's points when I was watching this because I figured like a lot of times, especially with certain artists, uh, when you compress your train of thought into a short span of time and you're not permitted to break that train of thought you could do really amazing things that way because yeah. the thing is usually you have to you know pull away go to sleep you go back and then sometimes there's a hiatus in there 
but a lot of times that's how ideas get lost. Yeah, that's yeah. how ideas get dropped because you just you don't feel into it as much the second day as you did the first day. But if you don't permit yourself to break it, then you can create really amazing things. I think that's the whole premise of the 24-hour play. Yeah. The, the standout of the musicals for me was uh, Four First Songs, which was composed by Lance Horn and written by Jonathan Mark Sherman, the well-known playwright, um, who I actually befriended over the weekend. And uh, he seemed very interested in the podcast, so hopefully we'll get him on towards the end of the year. Um, he's a New York local. Um, he's written some really great plays, which, of course, I don't know any of the names off off the top of my head because I didn't do any research. Um, you know, like I always do. But uh, but I'm hoping to have him on uh, towards the, the end of the year. It'd be a lot of fun. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit... Steve, I remember you telling me off the air you had a news story that was actually really... We haven't done news in a while, but you had yeah, a really big thing. Yeah, there's actually a band out there who was using Spotify with uh, in a way that I never even thought to use it before. Mm-hmm. Which is... The idea is that, of course, you know... Uh, if a band wants to be very altruistic about their work and they mm-hmm. want to, you know, offer as much free stuff to their fans as possible, after all, they owe their popularity to their fans and everything, which most bands don't have an obligation to do. Of course, they have an obligation to make money to themselves and everything, but if they want to be that altruistic, there are ways now that where you can actually have a whole entire tour for free. So this band had a pretty incredible idea. So what's the band? Do you remember the name? I do not remember the name offhand, but okay. I'll have that filled uh, in. It'll be on the Facebook page later. Okay. Wolf. Wolf. Ooh, oh, something. Volkswagen. Yeah, something, <laughs> something like, like that. that. Well, there the ba- are, the are album... probably only so many bands that begin with Volf. And the album was called, I remember the album was called Sleepify. Sleepify, that's right. Because the idea is you take Spotify, of course, whenever you listen to a song on Spotify, the a artist small gets a tiny fraction, money, yeah. like half a cent, less than a half a cent, right? Yeah. And every single time someone listens to that song, of course, those cents do rack up. So conceivably, if you were to just play these songs all through the night, just go to sleep, it's like... It, you're barely asking your fans to do anything. Just press play, make sure you have the repeat button on, go to sleep, you wake up in the morning, and that's probably accumulated to a few dollars. Imagine adding that up for every single fan, and now the band actually has a substantial amount of money that they can dump into their own tour so that every fan now has a free ticket, essentially. Yeah. And it's a free tour. That's, that's outstanding. And the other interesting thing is they said they're going to track the tour patterns based on where it's listened to the most. So wherever yeah. there are more people listening to it, they're going to go to those cities. It's it's a unique idea. I don't know how well it's going to work, but we'll see. I mean, it well, has... I, I think it may very well work. It has potential to work, but sometimes... See, the thing about crowdsourcing is it can sometimes crash and burn. Like, thankfully, um, uh, friends of the podcast, uh, Eli August and the Abandoned Buildings, which is composed of parts of the Wasties, um, they recently did a Kickstarter, which I believe I post on the Crash Chords page, for their new EP. And they actually ended up raising the $6,000 they needed. Um, but it took pretty much almost until the end of the, the, the fundraising period. I know other pl- people who have done fundraising and not made their goal, not even halfway made their goal, basing it on their, the support of their fans. So it's tough. It's, no, it's you, a, you make a good point. It, Crowd, it, crowdsourcing it, definitely can crash and burn, but it's the kind of thing, you know, it's, it's like voting. It's yeah. like no one, no one can really predict as much polls as you have. No one yeah. can really predict voter turnout and whatnot. Sometimes people just disappoint. So this is more of a... I'm putting it out there. Yeah. Support these guys. Please try. I would love for this project to work because it would say something about, you know, their very generous idea yeah. and uh, personal fan go get itness. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, oh, uh, speaking quickly back, though, to crowdsourcing and the new Eli August EP, um, I did help fund it and we're going to be, get, I think I might be able to get the tracks early. If I do, I will um, talk do maybe a little quick review on the website about it, just chat about it, what's, you know, and where to find it and stuff. Um, 
but let's take this time now to jump into our album this week. It's uh, my pick. Um, been a while since one of us has been able to pick an album. We had two guests back to back. At the trade off. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, but um, but they brought us some great music and or at least interesting, unique music. Mm-hmm. Um, but this week we're going back to some pop music, but not just any pop music. This is the new album G I R L by Pharrell Williams. Um, of course, we've talked about Pharrell because he was heavily featured on Daft Punk's new record mm-hmm. and he's been doing production on other records that we've mentioned or featured. There was and another he, album that we did that had Pharrell featured. Yeah, he, well, we also spoke to uh, what was going on with the Grammys and everything and like that. And he was on, he performed Happy for Happy was This Year. a pretty year. big thing right. back then. And, and so, of course, it's important this week, of course. Uh, he's, um, well, uh, first of all, when was this album released? It's very recent, right? Yeah, a couple weeks ago, three, yeah. three or four weeks ago at the most, I and, think. Coinciding with that, he performed on uh, Saturday Night Live just yeah. this past Saturday, and he performed two songs from this album, which will be the first one, as well as Happy, which has been around for a while as a single. So, yeah, from Despicable Me too. Yeah. Um, so th- the new album did come out about a month ago, um, and I've been interested in doing it since I uh, saw it come out. I'm a big fan of Pharrell from back in the day when he was in NERD. Same here. Um, I... I I love what is it? A fly or die? Fly or die? Fly or die was great. And the do you remember the name of the album before Fly or Die? It was In Search of. In Search of. Yeah. Um, and I love In Search of because that's what got me hooked on them. The song Lap Dance, which was huge. It was everywhere. The See, year and for it came me, out. it was it was Fly or Die. For me, that was the breakthrough album. Yeah. In Search of, I could have taken or leave it. I feel like they were still in their formative years yeah. back then. But then Fly or Die came out, and it it well, I wouldn't say it exploded, but it had quite a good amount of yeah. popularity. No, yeah. And in in my opinion, that really defined their style. Sure. Which was very unique within the sort of fusion rock hip hop or rock R and B framework. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was just saying that Lap Dance was their first hit single, one of their first big hit singles, and was featured in a lot of movies at the time. Yeah. Um. So that's what got them going. Um. But um, Pharrell is also, as we were saying before, a well-known producer and a, a great one at that. Um. But this is his now his solo record. I think it's his second true solo record. Um, and he has some guests on this album with him uh, that he features, and we'll get to that when we get to those songs. But let's jump right into the first track, Marilyn Monroe. Well, I want to say a couple things just generally about it. It's apparent right away that his style, you know, from when I remember him back in the days of NERD, yeah. has really carried over. There's some new things, and there's mm-hmm. definitely new elements immediately right up front here. But in like, I can I can detect his songwriting style a mile away. Yeah. That's a good thing. It, it really signifies him as a musician. I mean... He has a signature style, for sure. Yeah, especially as a producer. You know, that's that's kind of hard to make your mark that way, and he's definitely done it. Uh, but he also had some help uh, on this album, and especially in this first song here. Somehow, he was able to team up with Hans Zimmer, yes, who actually a... did the arranging. He's the well-known composer. He's done for many movies. We've yeah. talked about Hans Zimmer before, and he joined in with the arranging for this first song. It's got a gorgeous classical intro, or, well, classical contemporary intro. Um it's sweet, very sweeping, and then it kind of blends very much with the beat work right off the get. Yeah, I wouldn't say contemporary classical, just because no. it's orchestral, of course. Okay, so contemporary. It's, it's really cinematic. cinematic. Actually, that's, that's really the way it begins. That's a better way of describing it, it. It's Hans Zimmer doing what he knows, because he's always done, you know, cinematic work. But, uh, you know, some could argue that, that it was a little bit disingenuous, because then it goes into something that's almost a little bit drastically different. Uh, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Because... First of all, we're looking at a song here, which is sort of an homage to, of course, The Girl. That's the title of the album, yeah. Girl. It's all about girls. You're going to get a lot of that on this album, so be prepared for it. Um, but in general, the intro itself 
sort of had this sweeping style like it was building up to sort of a grand event and then it sort of retracted a little bit and just all the all the instruments uh, all of the the stringed instruments went back to plucking instead of actually bowing you know very majestically instead it was all just these little compliments throughout the album it actually took the role of what you'd expect in sort of a hip-hop backbeat right uh, yeah and I mean for me also the standout thing about Pharrell and you get it just right off the bat in the first song is not only the style in which he sings but the actual way in which he sings he uses an articulation that that's very unique to him that we've spotted in other songs that you've commented on before mm-hmm. and and you know this song was no different um well, part of it is just the falsetto the yeah. falsetto is is i mean it, as i was saying before there's definitely his songwriting style is unique but his falsetto is even more unique than that because yeah. you know it's it's almost a little bit ubiquitous in uh in um in hip hop music or R and B in general at this point. Like yeah. having a falsetto, but no one that I've seen does it as well as, as Pharrell Williams. Yeah. Um and I mean I was kinda craving a R and B album for a while. I mean I like we reviewed CeeLo Green's Christ- Christmas album, but it wasn't really an R and B record in the same sense that his solo record was. And so I'm still craving a new CeeLo Green album and this is kind of filling the void. That was for also me. more soul. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I've been very quiet, very, very quiet. I think I said four words so far, and that's because uh, I really felt that this introductory string work, which I, I wouldn't even say it was orchestral, it was groovier than that. And I think, it but blended, it wasn't in the very beginning. No, but it, 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 that's what I'm saying. Why it being it blended? I think it blended well. Um, but aside from that, there was not much else going on in this first track. That's the, the, not true. No, the verses are extremely safe beat-wise. Extremely safe. The chorus work it tends to be the more preferable part of the actual song. And even that is just 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 put on a loop anyway. I I, I felt like the it it's it's just not um very deep here. See, I got to disagree at least that this early on in the album I think this is a pretty powerful opener. I mean, as we get on later, yeah, there are verses that don't go as deep as you might want them, but no, I, I need this needs to be set up front. It needs to be set up front. Strictly, this album here is a dance album. So you're going to have to accept that there are definitely points that where it will repeat, but even so, within the dance work framework, I think there's moments where it really burgeons forth, especially in the lyric work. That's why I'm surprised you mentioned that about the verses. I mean, I already said you could, I could t- sort of take or leave uh, the classical arrangement here. I mean, sorry, the uh, the string arrangement in general, because it's it's just there. If it wasn't the strings doing that, it would be other instruments doing that, as you would find on an R&B album. But what is impressive is his melodies his melodies are as strong as they ever were and that's something that's fairly strong here but i'm speaking for specifically to that third section that third verse of this song which was a extreme departure from what was actually being built built throughout the rest of the song and it was a really disappointing tease for the piece itself for the song itself because that was the part that really i thoroughly enjoyed are you talking about the the interlude yeah, the interlude. The really quiet interlude? The really See, that's cool, funny. quiet I mean, interlude. It's a departure. All right, this, this is a, you are bringing me to a second point here, and this does is this one critique I have, is that that interlude, which we're talking about like utter silence here. After This has been a very, a very busy song. There's a lot yeah. of stuff going on earlier on here. Of course, you've got a lot of uh, the funk guitar peppered throughout this. I love the way he kind of goes back to funk. Um, and then you have a lot of sort of the clarinet working with... Uh, 
with like the drum box the second the interlude approaches. Again, the clarinet is throughout, but here everything just filters down to this simple sort of... Uh, okay, the reason I call it an interlude is because it almost sounds like it should be a transition to a totally new section, or like we're going to get like a whole drastically different part B, because it's just the drum box, that single, uh, I think it's a bass clarinet, just hovering overhead, and then almost nothing else. You have no lyrics, no nothing else. But then it just goes right back to the chorus, and I really wanted more at that point, because such tension, such emphasis was placed on that one moment in the track. And that's where I'm coming up with a lot of problems with uh, the verse work. The verse work is, it just seems so face value musically that while the chorus has a complexity, to be able to do something with that interlude that just really just degenerates and then I, I wanted something with that. It seemed like a great idea that just didn't get flushed. I, I don't know. I don't find that that interlude was as much make or break as both of you did. I can see the complaints and they make sense, but for me, it was just like... I, I can only agree in the sense that because they did so little with it, I feel like they could have just not had it and it would have been fine. I think that might have actually worked better for me. I would have liked the rest of the song better if I didn't get something that was so off the wall. See, and I don't feel like it kills the song that much, but I can agree that it probably would have benefited from not having that section or doing something with that section, either or. Um, however, the, the the singing and the, and how you're saying the verse and chorus work are so disparaging, I just don't agree. It's not vocally. It actually oh, is it's in the music it's, it's musically. Okay. Musically, because the ver the the verses were kind of just just safe. All right. I mean, I guess I can see that, but again, it's a dance the song. The chorus had a lot again. More. It's a dance song, and it's an intro to a dance album. So I get the structure. Whether well, you no, it's, whether it's, you don't like it or not, it's I not understand. the structure. It's that there was a lot more texture put into a lot more. Uh, layering put into the choruses that was just more interesting. I, which is fine, but I think it flowed between both parts very well, and I didn't like the disparity. Didn't really bother me as much. I thought it had a nice ebb and flow. And vocally, this album was tight as you would expect from Pharrell Williams. I mean, he, the way he speaks and sings, he speaks with an intelligence and sings with an intelligence and a quality that you come to expect from him. And especially like in this song, like Steve always talks about, he likes certain inflections that he does. And in this song, he do, the way he says "thorough" and it sounds like "thorough." Oh, it, it just adds a fun inflection to the song. Well, that I like really carries I like that. creative rhyming. So the thing is, of course, the, this is sort of the the opening to the theme of the album, which yeah. again, as I said, it's fairly straightforward. It's girls, or at least you know, the, there was one one claim here that actually mentioned how uh, how it was sort of a it's sort of a feminist um, album in a sense, mm -hmm. and and I think it's because there was sort of a question mark as to as to where. Pharrell Williams, I saw this in, in an interview, there's a question mark as to where his views really lied, because of course he has a tendency to go in and out of all these songs, which yeah. can sometimes broach, you know, the objective, uh, sure. pre, you know, treating women as objects, well, or at least they can be interpreted that way. Yeah. Uh, he was also, uh, uh, the Robin Thicke song, well, he Pharrell Williams, that, yeah. was featured that song, yeah. So there had been some criticism about him, so I think this album, in many ways, is sort of solidified that this is what I really think. Yeah. It's like, that's one side, but that's not the only side. Right. Of course, my true feelings on girls, I think is what he's saying, are a little bit more, uh, a little bit more filled out here. Yeah. So of course he's saying, just want somebody who's different, not an object, in other words, yeah. and that's why you sort of get this this anthem, girl, 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 repeated, yeah. and that brings me back to the line that uh, you were quoting. Because after it goes, girl, 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 and you get that, that chorusing uh, by the backup singers, 
which actually may very well be just him. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because I saw the live SNL performance and there were actually were backup singers who were doing that high sure, voice. Sure, of course. Well, because he it can't may be very his well, backup singer. Exactly. So, but he may, yeah, it was probably him in the original yeah. recording, maybe doubled. But then there's that line to follow. Girl, girl, can't another good boy keep it this thorough? And just this, this, the, the, the meter within that, the, the yeah. flow of that one line, just has such a ring to he it. He almost says it like T-H-U-R-L, like thorough. Thorough, yeah. Yeah. Like thorough, to Ra- rhyme it with like thorough Ravenscroft. Yes. Um, <laughs> Which all, we all know. But all in all, in all for, for me personally, as an intro song, it really got me pumped. I enjoyed it. There were, you know, there was a little, ebb in, there was a lot of ebb and flow, but I enjoyed it. Um, it, it, it just goes back and forth. I'm really just dead dead center between you guys and this yeah. song. I have my little... I don't think it's a groundbreaking song. I don't think this is the song that's going to... We're going to remember years no, to no, come. No. as like, oh, that was such the anthem of 2014 or anything no. like that. I feel like in many ways, he's almost done his damage with that. I feel like a, a Get Lucky is probably going to be around for a while. And Happy. I mean, Get and, Lucky and, and, and Happy, happy are so song. positive, straightforward songs that they will overshadow probably anything else on the record. Yeah. But this was, a, this was a bold... For me, this was a bold move. I agree. And I, especially considering he got, you know, Helen Zimmer to do the arranging and everything. Yeah. It's just... I, I, I respect what he was going for it, it maybe could have gone further and yeah. of course whenever there's strings i would always want there to be you know more i don't like him to just serve the function of a backbeat so that's one of my but at my least reasons. it wasn't a gimmick where it was in the intro and not in the song at all at least they were used in the backbeat oh hell even on the snl uh performance they were there yeah. <laughs> they had the strings in the background and hans simmer was that was actually present um the next track is brand new this is featuring Justin, the Justin Timberlake. Um, the song opens is there with a, another one. <laughs> the, Probably. The, the song opens with. I feel a, bad for that guy. <laughs> the song opens with a fun Justin, uh, you know, scatting kind of a a mouth beat, a beatbox, a mouth beat, <laughs> a mouth beat. <laughs> that's a new one. Well, that's what a beatbox is, I guess, is a mouth beat. That's exactly what it is. Uh, <laughs> definitively. But um, but it was you know it was fun and upbeat and it pulls you in and then it's an instant funk. Yeah, that's uh, exa- it's. Yeah, no, funk, into funk hot is, water, is, not, funk. is not the word that I'd used to describe. Yeah, this one wasn't as much later. fun. I actually, this was a kind of an interesting, a very, very interesting rhythm here. It went into sort of what I would call a bossa nova-esque type rhythm. It was like or maybe a couple beats it, off from bossa nova. Exactly, or I would maybe just sort of put it in the super category of like Afro-Cuban and whatnot. But it yeah. was it was really interesting. You you thought it sounded like a, sort of an island rhythm and whatnot. Yeah. I could get that easily. Um, but all of those are kind of close together, too. They're not exactly the same, obviously, but they're similar yeah. in style. And then when you get into the meat of this, I thought it was actually pulling from various sides of soul. Yes. And it, it works as a really strange fusion, because you can't quite pinpoint it as Bossa Nova, can't pinpoint it as soul or F Cuba. So it, it actually ended up being pretty unique to me. I like when I'm just sort of thrown around uh, between genres. That's kind of what I like, is they took a classic dance construction and then kind of... They, they peppered a lot of other stuff over it, so it was a unique experience. It was still felt very much like a dance song, but they did enough with the meat of it that it felt fleshed out. Well, to be clear, they did a lot with the texture of it. Oh, the texture. The meat, meat could is, be interpreted differently. Me, yeah. Meat is meat I see as substance, and this is the thing. This is a dance song, and to me this felt a little bit constrained, even more constrained than the previous track, than Marilyn Monroe. It was... It was a little bit repetitive. Don't get me wrong. Love the beat and loved loved all of the layering therein. I just feel like, in 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 a linear sense, it needed to go somewhere. And that I think was the big problem uh, for me was I love the texture of that acoustic electric combination guitar, uh, but it was just playing one chord. I love the horns that were being used, 
but they were playing the same five note, four note uh, uh, progression, and it's just with with that you can keep it that same upbeat, which was extremely addictive, but change it up, like really do something with it, fool around with it. I wanted so much more with that. The the parts are there. I just don't think they're being utilized to the fullest extent of 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 uh, what they can do. Well, with this song, I mean, I'll admit. I was expecting a lot with Justin Timberlake's name there. I mean, you know, both both Pharrell and Justin Timberlake are great producers and great recording artists. Um, I will admit that by the end of the song, it did get a little repetitive. Um, I still like it, and I thought it was very upbeat and catchy, but I by the end, I was kind of had had enough and was ready for it to end. It just, the problem is, even with all of that texturing, I agree with John to a point that, like, it didn't ruin the song for me, but I agree with John that it, it did bring it down a little by the end because it did even though they were peppering such great textures the meat of it did get a bit repetitive it was becoming a, 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 the same painting you're using the same exact colors and brush strokes you, you have reds oranges yellows blues purples you have all this you have different brushes you have different materials they were just using the same things over and over again in different ways and that's very bothersome when I, and I really love the guitar I really in love that one chord I wanted all the other chords that go along with it, though. It's like I said, it's a fault of, of linear motion. At the moment, I'm I'm blown away. Like, in the instant. In the instant, yes. it's just, it's it's a great rhythm. I could groove to that for probably a while, but then in, I realized maybe I can't groove to yeah. it for a while. It's a, I don't know. I think this is just the, the problem you have when you approach something with, with the dance format. Because you're bound to run into this problem. That when As soon as someone puts their earphones on and says, I'm going to listen to this album, I'm going to devote my next hour to it, then you're just inviting in all the critiques oh, because you're not perceiving it in the same uh, in the same context as, of course, a dance floor where you actually can lose yourself. Right. So that's the thing. I, I, I could sort of go right in the center on this song, too. I, yeah. I, I love the beat, and obviously he knew he had something good. He yeah. knew he had something good. I just think he thought it was enough. Right. Well, and also on an album scale, it probably isn't. Well, all, well, that can be go either way. Also, and my argument for that is he's making a dance album. That's the goal here. Penn ultimately he wants to make a dance album. I know, and I feel like we're gonna keep coming back to that in various um, places. So, so for me, you know, it it that that doesn't necessarily forgive certain things, but stylistically, it explains some of it. Um, however, yeah. In, but uh, that leads us directly into Hunter, which no, I no, no, I have one oh, more yeah, thing one more to say about the other. Th- we're we're overlooking a little section here. There is one change up, and this is one of the main problems I have with uh with brand new. There's a transition there. Mm-hmm. There's a transition that occurs from one segment to the next, it where it does pull. So it's not really the same thing front to back. We get right. these little moments. I believe you, they occur around. Um, it's probably the pre-chorus. So I just want to say thank you for this day because it's so good, go good, honey. That's just one example of of the kind of lyrics you're getting in these pre-chorus. And there is these sort of, I want to say, dark '70s oriented keyboard tones that occur here. Very, very interesting chord work. And it's about just four chords that build. Occasionally they repeat this pre-chorus, but then the second it's over, it's not a transition into anything. It's just go right back to the chorus. So then we're right back to where we started. It's sort of the same problem. It's analogous to what I 
to what I mentioned in, in the previous track right. in Marilyn Monroe, where we actually get that interlude, that instrumental interlude, which builds up all this tension, which implies we're going somewhere, but instead we get thrown right back. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just kind of a shame, because it was a really, really great idea. It was probably the best idea I ever could have imagined coming from out of this song. It's just there was no follow-through. No, yeah, that's where it started to get repetitive for me. It was after that moment. Because uh, it, it did that several times. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, are we going somewhere this time? No. Yeah, yeah. You know. And I I agree with that. And I do know exactly what ta- what part you're talking about. And it, I'm almost certain as well, it is that pre-chorus piece. Um, it was, it could have gone so much more. But I feel like that might be a running theme I'm going to have here is things could have gone so much more while remaining true to the style he's writing in. But one song that I think actually really hit the... Well, not think. Really did hit the mark for me was Hunter. Um, track three. Track three. And I, this is one that it's going to be hard for me to explain the differences because it, it does have a lot of the same problems as Brand New and Marilyn Monroe. I just accept what he's done a little bit more. And I think it might be because... This is the first song I'm really getting into the lyrics and what he's singing. So, Hunter is a very... This one is where we get some good old-fashioned funk mixed in with some other stuff. Um, He sings most of the song in this playful falsetto, um, even doing some speaking at points. And it it really does pull you in. It's just one of those kind of groovy songs that... It relies on different elements. This relies on funk more so than the previous, which was going back and forth and then a... Within the sort of Afro Cuban really soul thing, but this is really back to funk, and it, you could—it's heavy in the guitar. I mean, just that sort of Kurt. Uh, I almost hesitate to call it porn guitar, but I can it's see that, commonly yeah. you know yeah, associated yeah. with that. But it's 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 punchy, and yeah. it, it it really it helps when you put that over the bass because then you're getting the full spectrum of uh, of uh, of range. So. I think that might actually be one of the reasons why I also like it. The The beat, to me, is one of the most infectious ones on the album. Uh, just because of the nature of what's being sung here. It's very... It's a lot more in- imagery than we got in the first two songs. Instead of just making similes, he's actually going the full gauntlet of, of uh, choosing his words. I think a little bit more... Uh, gut-oriented, as opposed to just stating something, he's getting a little bit shrouded. Uh, I show my teeth, and I hope you know that look in my eye, and I got that lightning speed, I won't hesitate to rescue what is mine. And it really doesn't... You, you could take that multiple ways, but in the context, it, it's both a, a dangerous statement, and yet something that's kind of sensual. It's... I enjoy that. He's, he's actually throwing a little more layering, and of course the vocals are great, uh, with what he's singing, but now I'm I'm getting oh what did he really say that how am I gonna take it I like that well playfulness in this is actually reminiscent of a lot of 80s and 70s songs that are just kind of kind of playing with the idea of uh, of prey and predator and and comparing relationship to that you know and and getting getting on the hunt and getting there <laughs> yeah it's still got that kind of sexy feel that yeah, yeah. is present in a lot of his work. But it's also got that dangerous aspect, which, in a lot of cases, enhances that appeal. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny, though, because I almost could see the same problem, these lyrics, as, as, as say, one of those critiques against them that uh, 
just because it's in the middle of the night, that doesn't mean I won't hunt you down. Because I'll be in deep side, it's pulling me, and I want your love. It's almost aggressive. Yeah. Which, of course, you know, that's no stranger to, uh, to, to lyrical work that sort of showers a lot of desire yeah. upon. But... I don't know, I guess I could still kind of take or leave these lyrics. I, I, here I'm biting my tongue a little bit, because the thing is, regardless of the funk riff and everything, I feel like this was even a little bit more repetitive than the previous track. And that's where I'm going to say, yeah. I, I, I Considering mean, those transitions that I no, discussed I, the last one, agree. that was at least... That was at least a, a shining beacon, you know, yeah. amidst a, a still a relatively awesome rhythm, and yeah. I'm talking about the last track now, That that was... It's at least something, you yeah. know. Granted, all right, we've we've said we've done to death the fact that the previous song was repetitive in a general sense, but the rhythm was great. And sometimes you can't, you just face it. Sometimes you can lose yourself in a certain rhythm. Absolutely. And then with those transitions to boot, that was at least something. That was really a a, a big plus. Here, I'm kind of lacking it. It's it's. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love funk. I really really do, but. I don't know. I, I feel like it's the kind of thing that caters more toward advancement rather than finding the groove and sticking with it. The best kind of funk that I've previously, you know, been attracted to is the kind that goes somewhere. I feel like you can almost get away with it more with an Afro-Cuban beat than you can with funk. Because when funk is stable, oh, it's just so stable. Yeah. And no. it's a little too stable for me. I got you. Yeah, no, I I think with this song, I mean, all I really have to say about it is that I enjoyed the playfulness, I enjoyed the way he sang, but there were repetitive moments in this too, and I do agree that at least Brand New, at least in the beginning, did a little more. Um, but I still enjoyed this song. Um, I, I thought, you know, one of the one thing I will give it, I think it it's, it's an ambitious song just because it relies more on the development of the lyrical round as opposed to sort of the big drop or the big breakdown. Yeah. So it is withholding a lot of that. That's one... I mean, it's it's ambitious that it thought so much of it like, itself, I guess, to uh, to keep doing that. But in, in one sense, it really did succeed on the lyrics. Because wherever the music fails here, then the lyrics... I mean, the, 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 vocal, the vocal work. Yeah. The vocal work. Not even going to speak to lyrics here, but just the layering and the vocal work is so intricate and so complex that sometimes you really can shift your focus. Yeah. Of course, if you're just tapping your foot along and you're just focused solely on the beat and you're not on a dance floor, then yeah, you're probably going to be a little bit bored. But if you shift your focus a little bit toward more of the high end and what he's doing with his voice, there's a lot to be gained. Yeah. And, I mean, as far as trying different things, I mean, we're really getting more into the meat of that as we go through the album a bit. I mean, Gush, track four, you know, it, it leads leans more towards what you would think a, a, a groovy R&B song would be. But they do unique things with the mix that we haven't really seen up until this point. It was, um, Gush is, I, I dare say, guttural. For this album, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would definitely. The layering agree. is where it shines. Yeah, the... I'm specifically talking of the strings and the obvious synth work. Yeah, the, there's a production level on this track that I haven't really seen it yet. Was, it's it's really it does actually start having intricacies associated with it. Yeah, this is I think is uh, this is start what I was starting to say about it. You know, a dance album and how it's pretty impressive when a dance album actually turns the route of, of having substance because we don't usually expect that. But yeah, it, this really did do that for me. First of all, I also want to say he he kind of threw back to his old NERD style, which in my opinion you can never go wrong with that because I I loved and I still think it's relevant today. Um, even like the kind of stuff I got back in Fly or Die, which is already two thousand four two thousand five. It's it still holds up in many ways, um, 
this is where I, I sort of get his songwriting style. There's sort of a, I think gutter was a really good word. I mean, it's, it it is it does have a little bit of a darkness to it, and there is sort of that soul chord progression that I feel is is very indicative of what NERD developed, um, what they were responsible for, for furthering. I guess sort of taking the 90s spin on soul and, and sort of twisting it in a different direction, their own direction, so that now I don't even think 90s. I, I did briefly, because there are moments here where I almost thought it was like a throwback to Michael Jackson. Yeah, but, um, but comes later. You know, I think that's pretty pretty amazing at the fact that I was able to identify NERD almost a little bit more than I was able to Michael Jackson. That means that they've even turned MJ's uh, uh, style himself and spinned it anew. That's impressive. Yeah. Well, I also feel like I in moments that, I mean, we'll talk when we're done at the end about how much I still feel that way, but I felt at least from the, the featuring that I'd seen him with and the singing that he's done that, that, that Pharrell has the capacity to be a modern Michael Jackson because he's got, he's got his hands in so many pies and he does so many different things. And he really is like Michael Jackson for a lot of things that were problematic. He was very smart and he was especially when it came to music and marketing, he was very smart. And Pharrell seems to be following that route. And a song like this, Gush, the R&B moments very much reminded me of uh, late late 80s, early 90s, especially early 90s Michael Jackson. I think he just knows how to dip into various styles and keep it to his own so that no matter where he goes, there's still that mark of yeah. his own personal signature. But for all the the uniqueness in the actual music, I was kind of disappointed in the lyrical work. <laughs> and for that, it's just the blatant. Let's face sex. it. We had to have this this type of track. I think on this album, I think it was inevitable because I think there's. I'm surprised we haven't mentioned this before, but there's there's something very analogous to Beyonce's album, the Beyonce album, the, yeah. the self titled album that we released that we discussed back in episode seventy three, and that album, you know, the secret album that she released, yeah. the 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 one that went under the radar, that album, the theme there relied on sort of heavy things especially we remember we had a track on that album with, where it was just all dripping with sex right because well, it was know. a very personal album and these are things that she wanted to sing right. about and in, in the lyrics of course they can be pretty raunchy you just kind of have to accept that I suppose when you go into it I can kind of just I want to just gloss over these lyrics I really do because they are sort of crude I guess that's the word to describe it, yeah. If if the music is guttural, the lyrics are just crude, and that's a problem for me. See, and I don't see it as a problem. I don't mind songs dripping with sex for sex sake. It but doesn't bother if, me. While Hunter had that tension, it was at least playful. This is just a little bit too on the nose. Yeah. I'm going to give it this much. Uh, hold on. I'm going to give it this much, though. It is kind of a self-aware track in some ways, because once it gets to the chorus, it starts out with... I could be the guy to treat you to a nice movie, feed you, but I don't want to mislead you. Tonight I want to be dirty girl, don't you want to get dirty girl? So then it goes right back into all the raunchiness. Yeah. But there's that self-awareness. He, he knows exactly where what he is. What he's writing, yeah. You know. And I like that about this song that puts there is a an step honesty. above other, yeah, because he's very honest with himself. Yeah. But Face the other it, song... Sometimes that's just what guys But that Beyonce song also, while there were issues, wants. that one was also very honest. She was just being very honest for what she wanted, what she likes, and what she's looking for, you know? It was very dirty and it was very raunchy, but it, it was, was the still... song was essentially how to pleasure her. That's uh, that's about as graphic as it gets. But it's also as honest yeah. as you can get, saying exactly what you like. And that's I why mean, I'm making this comparison because yeah. this is coming from the opposite standpoint. This is sort of what I'll do to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I I I don't want to go too deep into it there's because at the same time, there's just it's been done before. Yeah, it's been done to death, and I guess the 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 shock value of the crudity does not impress no. me really. The, what does impress me is the music beneath it, and there's another one of those eerie string transitions or but there's several transitions so far so far i think the bridges are probably um bridges slash interlude slash transition again it could appear in any form on this album yeah. but in either of those cases where it completely pulls from the verse and the chorus it 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 tends to get very ethereal at, at certain times and in this particular case it goes down a whole different route. Coming from a soul perspective, this this sort of string slash electronica transition, it, it reminded me of the kind you'd get out of like ni- late 1970s electronica. There's that synth there. We have strings overhead, right? Or, well, I guess you'd say strings beneath because with the predominant, um, the dominant instrument is really the synth. And the synth is the kind that you'd get out of like late 70s Vangelis. Very weird to expect that on this album. I... I I, I wanted to think Daft Punk, but even Daft Punk really didn't even broach this. This this predates Daft Punk. This is literally Vangelis territory. But it appears, and then it's it's gone. But at least we're back to something that I was enjoying anyway. So I don't know. That's just how I'm how I'm how I'm sort of classifying these transitions here. And that's actually what I was speaking to when we first started talking about this. The 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 peripheral stuff. Like the strings and the little more unusual synth work, um, some of the more unusual ideas in the guitars, it seems to be the best part of these textures that we're getting here. I agree, and I think that this album would have fared a lot better. I, I'm not saying there's there's nothing to look at in in the content and the verse and the choruses, but yeah, but if if it really furthered some of the ideas in those transitions, um, or went into a new section that develop those ideas yeah then you'd really really have something yeah the, the, it seems like the the best parts are just being left out of the focal points yeah and that's where i'm getting a lot of my issues um, um but we do get the best song on the album it's one of for sure so track five is happy the big single from uh the despicable me to soundtrack um this song if you d- i mean we don't really have a lot to say about this because we're honestly if you haven't heard this song by now you're under a rock you're absolutely literally under a rock because it's That's why everywhere. i want to be careful with it being the best song of course there are other gems in this album here but but this that's album is I the most well known but that's it's, why i said it's one no, of the best yeah, one songs. of the main reasons why i will say this is my favorite song is the vocals the vocals are the best on the album i love hearing him this is a song that to be frank should have been too long for me and i can't get enough of it it is it it, it, it this is a part where i just want to keep hearing him repeat get happy well so the thing, i just want to hear that over and over the again. thing about happy and i think it speaks to what steve was saying before the real thing about happy and i think a lot of the tracks on this album why i enjoy them is they're very honest and they are very personal I do see the comparison to Beyonce's album, at least in the fact that this is Pharrell Williams being fairly face value. It's about him or his life or how great he has it. And Happy is just what the namesake says. It's a perfectly constructed pop song with tons of fun because it's just about being happy and how great it feels to be happy and how things can't bring you down when you're this happy. And honestly, as someone who's been there recently and who's kind of really in a great place in his life listening to a song like this is like yeah yeah man yeah totally like you know you really get into it and it's hard to to not enjoy an infectiously catchy song like this well you know it it contrasts the the previous tracks vocals i mean the previous tracks lyrics in a way because that was so 
sort of indicative of the kind of lyrics that you do expect from pop tracks that it is kind of nice to just pull all that back and say you know what why not something that everyone can relate to that isn't going to offend anybody at all obviously happiness which is why uh uh what is who who does uh despicable me me that's um disney no no that was uh dreamworks dreamworks i always get those two confused either way um obviously that's probably why they jumped on it because it's you know it's ideal for a kid's medium well and also the thing about happy is that it's just so honest and happiness the concept of happiness is probably one of the most relatable (laughs) emotions and ideas because everyone has their own own idea of happiness don't tell that to a misanthrope Actually, no. Sadness may be the only thing that approaches the level of happiness. I'm sure there's right. plenty of late 19th century but, philosophers who would really disagree with you, Matt. But the point being is... Being sad or being happy, though, I mean... But in modern yeah, society, what I'm saying there. is that happiness is something that you can, you can, if you look for it, can find happiness in whatever you want. Just about. Whether it's, No, I'm sure if you played this song like in front of any of those, you know late 19th century philosophers all life is pain all life is misery yeah they well, probably no, forget them forget they them. should they should have had Pharrell at their time think of art what are the two most iconic symbols of I'm thinking of, of like Nietzsche specifically uh, not not uh, physical art but like of theater no I know theater it's the smiling mask it's the sad mask yeah yeah. That is what everything really comes down to. On a not black late, not like late 19th century, a little bit later, but yeah. John Paul Sartre, he was another one. He was just miserable. It's either positive or negative, and this is the pinnacle positive. Yeah, yeah he really could have used him. Or approaching the pinnacle positive. <laughs> a little reason. So, there's not much else to say about Happy. I mean, it's a single. Go check it out. It's definitely worth hearing. I love, the, I love the harmonies. Yeah. That, that's my main that's, thing in yeah. this track. That, that's really this. I'm happy. <laughs> well, also it's the chorusing in the background yeah. that yeah. is very... Yeah. Well, and I also love the breakdown in this because even though it's a fairly repetitive, you know, it's not a, a fairly innovative breakdown. It's just it's again so honest and so wonderful that it just, you can't help but enjoy it. You know. Yep. Um, moving on to track six, we're halfway through the record now. Um, come get it, Bay. Come get it, Bay. A B A E. Um, and this is featuring Miley Cyrus, the infamous, and I say infamous because she seems to have a lot of negative press these days, um, the infamous Miley Cyrus. Um, this song was, I mean, really the thing that's standout-ish about this song is it had a really catchy southern R&B groove. Um, it, and you know what, for, for all of the things that people hate or love about Miley Cyrus, I'm not particularly a huge fan myself, her singing in this is is good. I mean, it's nothing terrible. It's not th- It's not revolutionary. But she's like every average '90s pop star. She sings okay, uh, which is kind of unfortunate because she's about 15 years too late to be an average '90s pop star. I did not know who the heck, the, what woman was singing with him during the song because, to be frank, she sounded like everybody else. So we're going to just ignore her part in this. Yeah, you're getting a new level of. A, a new uh, uh, palette of textures being used here, but this may be the most, not repetitive, but the most formulaic of all the songs. This this song, mm. I mean, I after a while, I just wrote down what letter order was going on here because I just wanted... To, it's a formula. It, it is a straight formula in this case, and it's bothersome because of that. See, and I disagree that it's bothersome um because while it is formulaic i was still engaged in this song there's a song that comes towards the end of the album where it was so formulaic i actually was bored um here 
I was into entertained, and I mean, it still was a, a, a good dance song. I mean, it wasn't anything revolutionary, but this is at a moment on the album where we are leaning more towards good instead of great, for sure. Um, at least on this track. Uh, yet again, I fall in the middle here. I mean, yeah, there's some things to say about uh, to, to either end, but this is actually a very rhythmically complex track, almost to the extent uh, that we had back in Brand New. Um, and it has to do with the style again. I, it sort of borrows from this sort of uh, almost like a, a gospel slash field song vibe. And we're going to get that again later in the album here. But it's like it, it's that rhythm that really drives it in that way. So I feel like there actually is an overarching uh, uh, style here because of how many times we sort of get that, that semi Afro-Cuban beat here. Um, and even if it's not rhythmically complex in, in the music itself, you get that sometimes with the uh, vocals. Of course, yeah, I, don't, I think none of us are really arguing that, that Pharrell, we prefer Pharrell singing here to Miley Cyrus's, but it, 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 it really is true. I Probably anyone could have filled that particular position on this album, as long as there was a duet, you know, just put someone there. I, and we actually have that problem later, too, uh, in the case of a duet. I feel like it doesn't really matter. Um, it's not... You don't get anything that's indicative of the particular artist. No. Now, I, I personally am at a loss to really explain what I find indicative about Miley Cyrus' singing. It's like everything I said in the very beginning here about Pharrell. We could define him, you know, we could identify him in a heartbeat. No, well, yeah. his, his signature falsetto, his style of songwriting and everything. It's very hard for me to kind of pick out and be like, ah, yes, that's that's got Miley Cyrus' mm. uh, she does tend signature to fall on it. I can't, I can't do it. She does tend to fall in with a lot of the other young female singers as far as not having something that stands out about her voice. And, uh, that, no, I'm going to uh, argue that uh, William's voice was really kind of uh, just okay in this song as well. I feel like this one is one he was off his game. I disagree. No, uh, that's why I was so focused on the rhythm that was just the rhythm, the entire rhythm throughout the song. I thought that I, his... I didn't hear anything, he, I didn't hear inflections or anything, I didn't hear anything... In his vocals, that was really kind of standout-ish. No, I, I thought the vocal work was pretty impressive. I Me think too. I went with um again, it went with the st- the rhythm in which yeah. he was singing. It was all about flow and. I think track. that you were so distracted by the the blandness that you didn't see it because it was there. We both heard it. Maybe maybe so got lost in the rhythm. I think that's what the problem was. Is maybe you just got kind of lost in the rhythm and. But this that. is this is also this is the song where I actually like I said I wrote out the progression. This is the point of the album where I realize so much of the previous work is almost the same exact progression. And it's like he's got a formula for this with what he's doing for these dance songs, which is, you know, dance songs are supposed to be able to do certain things. One is to get your feet moving. Two is to keep them moving. So, yeah, if you find a formula that works. But the problem is that's not a very good thing because I know plenty of dance songs or songs that you can dance to that don't have a formula like this. Oh, or, like, or don't but, mix it up. Like what, though? IDM, intelligent dance music? That's yeah. for a very specific, esoteric audience. I feel like general, populist, going to the club kind of thing. Not that I'm saying, you know, like, club music is, like, high art or anything. It's obviously not. But then there is a middle ground, and I feel like this this kind of goes in the higher end of that middle ground. I agree with it, you. It's doing something fairly... Uh, Inventive, I guess, with a dance okay, I get formula. I get it's not as complex as trance or, di- or or techno or anything else, but it's not trying to be. It's trying to be pop dance music, and it's doing something a little more than most pop dance. I mean, music I would does. I would love for you to prove me wrong. I want you to like name well, some it's... dance, specifically dance, uh, dance 
well, I'm not music gonna, artists. I'm not going to be able to name many people you know because it's primarily within the trans field. But trans is separate. It's different. <laughs> trans yeah. is That's, such you're a separate. You're comparing apples and oranges. It's prim- yeah. You are comparing apples and oranges. Yeah, pop no. dance music and trance are not the same. They're not. No, there's pop trance music, pop electronica that is extremely similar to this. Okay, well, but see, even then, there's like drastically different extremes here. I've heard, There's a good amount of trance music that I've heard, which is just bottom of the barrel. Like, literally stuff that never changes. That would, it, in terms, talk about repetition. I brought some on this show. Yeah, yes. I think you did. That's right. Um, I, I wouldn't even say I would call that trance, but maybe in a certain sense. Uh, I think you're talking about deep chord, right? Yes, yes. deep trance, dark trance. Yeah, Somer, episode 70. Check it out. But the point is, you, there's both sides to either spectrum, and I think the if you're talking about trance, I think the more extreme, like rhythmically rhythmically complex side of that spectrum probably broaches IDM. Um, but that's the kind of stuff that you play at a rave. I mean, how many? There's again, that's one that's one strata of the populace that yeah. goes to raves all the time. This obviously is not intended for that, and frankly, for the kind of music that I do see play being played at a, at more. Um, a more variety of venues. You know, this yeah. could be played anywhere from like a Sweet 16 party to just your average club anywhere, any city. Yeah. Well, and it would, would it would have a pretty good effect. General Electronica has that same effect. And it doesn't, it doesn't have, it's not constrained by any real formula. To because, me, this is like the same caliber as Get Lucky in many ways. Well, I'm not saying Get Lucky is really the, the penultimate or anything like that. And yeah, it does have the same sort of formula, but you, you can't discredit just a general electronica because they do the same music styles and DJs will spin these things together to use an electronica beat and these vocals or so on and so forth. It happens constantly, remixing and things like that. Using electronica because of the complexity that you can get with that, because of the complexity that is put in that sort of music. Well, it's clear at this point we're having sort of an aside based on sort of the album and broad here. Mm. Um because I'm not sure where this really applies to this track, uh, "Come Get It Bay." I mean, it's it's a whole because of that that soul that that gospel element. I feel like this is for a whole nother side. This this is, I I wouldn't necessarily call this a dance track, but maybe this is more like a clap along kind of thing. The well, same kind of thing that we got back in Brand New. This is more of a critique on R&B and hip hop dance music. Yeah, well, okay. I I, well, I still something... thought the vocal work was pretty impressive here. So, so also, I was impressed by the bass. That was another thing. Somewhere toward the end of this album, even if there's some tapering off in other areas, the bass work starts getting really incredible. Yeah. I did not look up the bassist, but it should be known. So. Oh. And then we go on to another gem of mine, Gust so, of Wind. So speaking of Get Lucky, Gust of Wind is featuring Daft Punk, yep. which we figured would happen at some point on the record. Um, it's got this really unique intro that Steve described as almost whirlwind-like. Just, It's a very circular... But a progressive circular sound. It, it moves. The word is spiral. Spiral. It spirals. It spirals, yes. And it spirals. I was going to say it meanders, but hey, well, you know, what, whatever your idea. pleasure, man. That's the thing with the whirlwind. <coughs> you picture like a hurricane, like a, dra- you know, the storms are coming, you know, lock up your window, board up your windows, lock your doors, and it's coming through the town. You can see all the stuff moving. It's a very, very visual uh, application for this particular sound, for, for this particular instrument. Um, it's, it's, Generally, of course, strings, which I am presuming it's Hans Zimmer again. But then again, we have another featured uh, guests, featured guest here on this album. That's, of course, Daft Punk. 
Daft uh, Punk, and they may very well have done that strings uh, in place. I'm pretty of sure Hans that Zimmer. they. I, I likely. I don't know that. Don't know for a fact, but likely Daft Punk makes this track. Likely, because yeah. when you have Daft Punk on, they're not known for the singing, though they do sing, and they probably sing here. But it's clear based they, on their previous, uh, based on Random Access Memories episode forty nine, <laughs> that they went. For, uh, they were more ambitious. They went towards string stuff. So I know they can arrange. So th- I'm pretty sure I'd be safely say that this is not Hans Zimmer. This is Daft Punk. But the funny thing is that Hans Zimmer wasn't listed back in Marilyn Monroe. Right. He was sort of on. They was uncredited there, which means that he could be just a factor throughout. But I well, still it's just it comes down to the fact that both of these individuals, Zimmer and Daft, are. Mixers, you really don't want too many, yeah. you know. And the point is, the ultimately, anyway. is... someone composed it, and it was great. Yes, yes. Anyway. But, uh, but what I mean, to me, it was better than Marilyn Monroe. But what much I, better than Marilyn yes, Monroe? Yes. But what I'm speaking to is that they probably did the production work and the mixing on the track, which is why I liked how it sounded. I thought it really moved in a way that really got me into it. Um, I I really got pulled in by the the sound the the mix work that was done on this. I thought that the lyrics were okay. They weren't. Uh, uh, incredible by comparison to other songs. I actually I did rather f- like the lyrics here, but hold on, let's go chronologically. We had the intro. Now as we go into the verse, we actually give way to something else. We give way to probably the funkiest piece on the entire album. The funkiest segment. Because that's, those strings, they give way to the bass. And remember how I said the bass was getting better and better and better? Yes. This is the moment where the bass just takes off. And to hear it working in tandem with the strings like that is phenomenal. And this is why, to me personally, this is, this is the gem. This is the gem of this album. Uh, this kind of beats happy to me. Because this is this is pure substance. This track could definitely not be labeled as a dance song. I mean, it's possible you can, but again, not for every audience. This would be taking a turn on the dance floor, let's just say. I love that bass. I thoroughly love the bass. And it's really, it's enticing. It wants you to come in and enjoy the song. And yeah, I think you can dance along to this. I don't. No, I would, you could definitely it, dance to this. I want to see it being impossible by no. Stretch. I can always dance to funk personally. That's just me. In fact, it's one of the only movies I, I will dance I can, to. <laughs> I can easily see this played at an after party or at a dance party. I mean, it it definitely fits the criteria. What I, while I like the lyrics vocally and through the verse, I felt that the choruses were a little weaker. It's just because they brought in it's it's either Daft Punk singing or Pharrell singing in a Daft Punk style with the technology spin on it. And it just I felt it didn't lend to the theme of the song as well as the verses did. It kind yeah. of fell short a little bit. That's where and it that's does, my big that's where it doesn't be it. happy. It was yeah. that electronica voice which I do love on Daft albums, but did not see, did not really enjoy in this song. Did not, because it, it's, uh, I agree. it's no, Williams. I, I agree. It, it, didn't, it didn't fit the medium. Yeah. It really yeah. didn't. Uh, it, it's, it felt kind of shoehorned. Yeah, and to be honest, it even feels sho- shoehorned to me. I'm going to say it. It has even felt shoehorned even within Daft Punk's own work. A lot of times they will bring in that vocalization and then it, it just kind of takes me away from the, the beat work they had otherwise created. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it, it needs to really, really be blended in here. And this time I just thought it was a massive departure from an otherwise, you know, phenomenal track. Yeah. And the, also, the bass takes the cake. The big thing is uh, this, this actually... Um tries to break free of that formulaic nature that we were just, you know, complaining about. And it does actually keep rearranging the way the movements are used, the way the sections are used, that I liked a lot more. Well, it was more quarterly complex. And and even if that, at times, when I say quarterly complex, it may very well have just gone into, like, four different chords. I don't recall at the top of my head, but it, 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 
it at least gives the illusion of there being more. Because when you combine the aspect that you have, you know, a track that has multiple chords at least, we're not just staying in one chord throughout, and we have had that up until now in many places, because of the fact that, uh, you know, that that's probably the easiest thing to dance to. You know, no chordal change, no change. You, you can keep the groove going, you don't lose the beat. But here, there's, there's more complexity in it. Yeah. I personally like, especially in the dance medium, I love there to be popping, texture popping off each other. And that's one thing that funk does outstandingly. Um, and honestly, I think it's all sort of a lost art, the way in which uh, strings interact with a bass. Because it was kind of begun in the 70s. We got a whole lot of it out of the 70s. Probably one of the main places you'd, you'd realize would be like a, a Gene Page uh, um, score to perhaps any black exploitation film. But that's probably like the most common instance of it. But it was used in other places too and it was used really really phenomenally it's just an amazing uh an amazing duality to have the really really low end mixed with something that's fairly familiar you know strings throughout the ages and everything and here it was just brought back in a big way because sometimes it's brought back and it's just kind of treated as a bit of a trope it shouldn't be a trope it's a wonderful combination and it should be developed here it was and it really, this song started a rise that ended quickly um, between this song and the next song. So, uh, Gust of Wind gave us something a little different, and so does Lost Queen for a few reasons. Lost Queen track 8 is almost 8 minutes long. There's a reason for that, though. It really is two songs. There's a specific intermission point between the two songs, and we'll get to that. I feel like I may have heard that the second track may indeed be called Freck, or Freak, as in... R-F-E-Q. Yeah. As in frequency. frequency, As in frequency, yeah. (laughs) So, to start, um, Lost Queen, very much, the first song is not, I don't want to say cliche, but it's definitely a very, it has a theme that we've come across very much in pop music. It's this idea of looking for love, and this, it really is a very romantic song. The lyrics are very much trying to find, you know, finding this person and and trying, you know, like one one of the lyrics is, you know, where are you from? What what planet are you from? This idea that someone you you could fall in love with is otherworldly because they're so unique to you. I have a, I mean, this could be just deja vu, but I I seem to recall some album, some some artist, and some song that use the same lyrics because it it is, I mean, that's really a trope. I mean, you know, what planet are you from? Or, uh, or you must be from a different planet because I've never seen any beauty like yours. You know, yeah. to separate and single out your beauty amongst all the rest. It's uh, it's commonly done, but you know, I I do gotta say at it was this point, sweet here. it's sweet, and also I don't care a lot of times what he's singing because I care more how he's singing. Yeah. I love Pharrell's voice, and really, I get lost in that far more than I could ever get lost in the actual words. It's it's a really awesome the way he's got sort of amazement in his voice when he's doing those uh, verses and it goes into a yearning sense in the choruses. Yeah. And it comes across uh, very well and it's... Well, that's right there when he says, I think you are a lost queen. Yeah. And it's coupled with that uh, more more tribal orientation that we got back in uh, Come Get It Bay, which is a little bit different. Uh, yeah, there's the a trope than what you what you were explaining. It's a little bit different that way. Yeah, it's got that island groove that really makes it stand apart a bit. I mean, it's, yeah, it still falls into the cliches a bit of a pop song, but it's still interesting enough that you know you go along for the ride. I feel anyway. It's personally. sort of like a, it's someone great coming on upon your you know kind of secluded society 
almost looking as not just a queen, but almost godlike, uh, a being greater than what was already here. Well, remember it when does I a noted great job of doing that? Remember when I noted earlier on that there was a um, sort of a gospel slash field song aspect a field this... song earlier on. This is really the the follow up. This is the one that takes that to the whole new level because this time you actually have the background singers. You have the you have that depth that that baritone acapella in the background which is is you know it's used as a backbeat it's sort of just this sort of doo-wop kind of thing yeah. that you get throughout the entire track or at least this this first half here and this was um this was probably one of the most drastic genre shifts i think on the album at the same time i uh i, I don't know maybe that's what hurt it a little bit for me I wasn't I wasn't feeling as hundred percent because it still fell back in the same exact. It's gonna it's gonna be repetitive throughout, and also it wasn't so much in the dance medium. So I'm not a hundred percent sure how it fits there, but at least it fits into the theme aspect. And the theme aspect is of course that search for the lost queen, the the which is nice imagery in itself. The idea of, of portraying a girl as a lost queen, someone who who you were just positive must have been something you know of, of an object of beauty in some other time. But here you're out to make sure they will be again. It's it's sweet. It's a very sweet image. But and that image musically, it's separate from the album for me. It's separate when it gets uh, that uh, wave crashing. So yeah, there's an interlude in the middle that's literally a soundbite of waves crashing. Very relaxing, actually. I remember listening to it at work and just being like, "Oh, huh, peaceful. I like this." Um, it it goes on for about I think thirty or forty seconds, maybe a little longer. And it's really the interlude. I mean, it's not even an interlude. This is sort of the transition. It's an between, intermission between intermission, exactly between these two different tracks. Again, yeah. this is not common, but it's sort of like this secondary song, freak, freck, whatever, is is like a uh, like a bonus track because it's not really listed anywhere. But yeah. it obviously couldn't conceivably be related to Lost Queen. It's hard to imagine it, at and least in a musical sense. And so the second half of this track is this separate song. Um, dealing more with, uh, it's more leaning towards a sexuality than a sweetness. It's, it is dripping with sex. His and his, not in the way I had, uh, not the issues I had with Gush. Gush. It was more along the lines of Hunter. It's mo- It was more romanticized sex, but it was still sex. sexual. <laughs> um, it was very sexual. Oh, let's just read it out. You gotta go inward to experience the outer space that was built for you. You gotta go inward. Just picture the love, it's picking you up. Your temple should buzz from the vibration of love. You'd see I'd rather be a freck, see there it is, a freck, than not be a freak, I guess, than not be unique. It has to be freak in that case because of the rhyme. Individuality makes life better. See, I'd rather be a freak than not be unique. The individuality makes life better. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm trying to conceive of a way in which it could be related to Lost Queen. I actually have a way. So the idea that when you find a true love that you really care for and someone that you are in love with it's this idea of being comfortable with a someone sexually yeah. to explore new universes whether it and and speaking very frankly whether it's experimentation whether it's using toys whether it's doing whatever it's it's this <laughs> seriously it's this idea of expanding your universe sexually when you're in love and the idea that he found this lost queen holds her up to this standard and this pedestal and then also sexually thinks that she's otherworldly as well This is coming from me, and that's a little bit of a stretch, but I see where you're going with it. Um, uh, It's it sort of plays up the amazement, in my opinion, uh, uh, the amazement idea of the first half of Lost Queen, 
in in the second half, but turns it on his head, and now they're being amazing together instead of a more solo idea. But that's even stretching it for me. Well, let's just say this. I think there's any number of ways you could conceivably have have placed another track after Lost Queen, because I'm sure you're right, at least in the sense that it's... um, it's tying together the individuality aspect. I think if we're going to have like an arc here for this album, that's really what it is. Which probably hints to the title being separate letters. Yeah. G-I-R-L. Every girl unique, every girl unto herself. Uh, no comparisons. Yeah. No objectifying. Uh, no lumping into any kind of box. I would agree. And, and I that, think that's... that's really what, I, what this goes for. It's just these two halves of the track do it in two different ways. When we go to uh, Lost Queen, that's that's a very traditional way, I think, of... of that, that's that been done, you know, you would see that in... Going back to, like, 15th century logbooks, you would see, or, or Shakespearean sonnets, there's always been that attempt to sort of, like, attribute uh, uh, royalty to, to your object of beauty. But then... The second we move to this, this is this is a little bit more modern. I, I especially see that now. I feel kind of fools that I was calling it Freck. Of course, it's Freak. It's just odd the way it's spelled, and I think that's just purely for the um for the rhyme with uh with with unique. Uh, you'd ra- you, you see, I'd rather be a freak than not be unique, which I think I, I'm not sure. Of course, there's sexual imagery here, but that in itself could just easily be no, applied that... to the girl in question. No, yeah, sure. It's also yeah. the way the the actual beat, everything says it. Yeah. The 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 way he's singing says sex. Individuality it's... makes life better, and that's just it. It's it's that the girl. It doesn't matter how freaky she is in one way or another, whether it's sexually. You 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 mentioned it could be sexually, but of course it could be absolutely any way, and that's just it. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. More, what's more important is that it's unique. It's something different that you can't find el- anywhere else in the world. Right. Which and is why I would count it alongside Hunter. It doesn't... It has multiple layers to it. And it's also very strongly attached to the overarching theme in the album. Um, I said that this was the beginning and end of A Small Rise because these two tracks were, I, I felt, very enjoyable, interactive, and unique. And also the other thing about that, the end track, is just from the musical standpoint, this was one of my favorite points in the album. I actually enjoyed it just about as much as I did Gust of Wind, uh, maybe even a little bit more so because of uh, because of the build-up. You know, this is the kind of thing, based on the use of that, that water interlude, this is the kind of thing that I wanted from earlier tracks. Yeah. Now, of course, you can't expect that to the same degree in, in you know, uh, tracks that actually are one singular entity. But when you have transitions, when you have interludes, you at least want a new section or you want something that develops the song a bit. Well, this went in the completely opposite direction and didn't just develop. It went to a whole new song. But that's, you know, from a showmanship standpoint, that really places emphasis on it you get some chills running down your spine when it finally comes it was so drastically different from the field song that yeah i was i was loving it it was one of the highlights of the album for me but then we move on to know who you are featuring alicia keys now my biggest gripe with this song among other things is at least up until this point i was entertained um even if the songs were a little repetitive or you know i didn't like parts of vocal work or something else whatever whatever we've talked about so far i was still engaged but by track nine, first of all, I see the name Alicia Keys, and Alicia Keys is a phenomenal artist. She does great work. And beautiful when you, voice. And when you put someone with such a beautiful voice with Pharrell, who also has a beautiful voice, and all they do is sing a mundane, bland pop hit, it's like, why? Like, you could have done... You have Alicia Keys, a great pianist and singer, 
and this is what you do. You do a bland, straightforward kind of romance pop song. It's, it's not honestly, bad. Honestly, they should have been doing a duet of the, back in um, uh, the album Mark Three Hatch Fever, when Hatchworth shows up and does that beautiful belting note. Both of them can do that note. Pharrell and Keys can both do that note. Mark Three, episode 72. We're just saying that it, there should Why have been... Why didn't they do that? No. There should be more creativity in this song. There's really actually not a lot to talk about Well, I think it had to do, again, with framework. It's a reggae song. This, again, we're moving in a different genre direction here. That's more of like the backbeat against. Whether the whether the the, the vocal flow is really in a reggae sense is, is kind of debatable. But maybe it's just not a medium that really fit uh, Alicia Keys. I don't personally know any reggae songs that she's done. I right. could be wrong. She's a diverse artist. But, yeah, it's... The reason it existed here, the reason I think you had to have some form of guest is, of course, to have the the, the duality. It's a duet, you know, or not an immediate duet, but first you have to have the male, then you have to have the female. And they're both singing things that are somewhat analogous. Um, both their, their sort of separate stories. Uh, in verse 1, uh, Pharrell sings, Bad day at work, crazy boss, crazy or worse finger pointing but they depend on you inhale exhale like a seal <laughs> no no oh yes smile honey no stress and then just for um for comparison's sake we go to alicia keys's verse i want every woman to make a pledge with me say your name to live life on the edge i want you to know i see the power is in me no more acquiescence um standing up with no stress again i will do what i need till every woman on earth is free a lot bolder. Well, yeah, like, also for me, like, the lyrics weren't bad. Like, the the, the message and the lyrics I really like. They're, the inflection, the, the delivery just was gets, just lacking. It just gets lost, yeah. It, it's Lyrically, it's actually a, a really good song. It's just it gets lost in the performance of it, honestly. And it's, it's kind of... The, the actual rhythm that's going on here kind of goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then se- seems to settle... And I really don't like where it settles by the time it actually gets up to Alicia's part. Yeah, it's just... It just, there's, there's it not, gets really safe. Yeah, it's very safe. There's not much to talk about for that reason, I think, is because it's really safe. I still like the bass work. Honestly, that well, was one thing that, that I can still highlight throughout almost the remainder of this album. The yeah. bassist is, is just on fire. But one awesome. thing is not enough to carry the tail end of an album. No, I agree. And also the way, yeah, the way it ended, I think there was a little bit, uh, a case of overlayering in this particular case yeah. because of course, you know, after you have them tell their individual uh, stories, then we go, they we give together. way to the duet, right? But then it's, it's sort of just a big outro. It's this long outro where they're just sort of overlaying each other one after the other after the other after the other. It's a little bit busy. Um, it's clearly just one of those, you know, sort of dramatic closeouts. Um, and speaking of uh, dramatic closeouts or anything but... Track 10, It Girl, um, is the final track on the album. And, and my biggest disappointment with this closer is that, like, okay, it's Pharrell Williams. You expect some kind of punctuation. It doesn't have to be transformative or completely unique. I would have taken another song like Brand New even. But this also just was very formulaic and, and very much that pop structure and after getting the songs we'd gotten previously, I just wanted something a little different. It was still groovy, but it didn't really go anywhere. And then the track, I'm skipping to the end, but we'll go back, but the track just fades out. There's no punctuation at all. It just kind of fades out. And the tail end minute of the song is completely repetitive instrumental. It's It Girl. That's the title. 
All right, you want to deliver something on that. Because there's a certain level of imagery that goes along with the idea of it girl. The woman. Most of it is a lot of expectation. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And it it just seems to just keep circling the drain in this case. It's going around and around and around doing the same things that I was nitpicking in the previous songs, but kind of all at once. The lyrics weren't really too inventive. His vocals were just okay. I mean, they're real good compared to a lot of other people, but they're just okay here. Uh, the beat is very is stagnant. It it doesn't do anything. I don't know, Steve. Was the bass good? Yeah, I kind of didn't notice at this point. I was kind of nah. I really out. didn't notice it at this particular moment. That, I mean, okay, so we lost that too. <laughs> if it was there, it wasn't as impression. Uh, it was still a. It was still a good groove, but again, yeah. I've kind of accepted that throughout this album at this point. Well, that's it's, what I said. Well, even the worst stuff is not bad. It's just not as standout-ish as the good stuff. I'm going to use that word again. I, I would say it's ubiquitously groovy. <laughs> at least for the I, sake I, of the album and the medium. You I, know, it's like, if you don't have that, well, you got nothing. But as long as you have that, that's at least one thing. But that's your base level. I feel... I, I, I definitely agree. Um... Yeah, I, I really did want some substance here, considering the title, It Girl. But it turned out to be a jam-out fade-out, which was kind of what we already got in the previous track. That's how the previous track ended. We didn't sort of we didn't need a whole nother track to do it. Um, I, I don't know. I consider I consider the substance to be filler until those gorgeous interludes. That's the funny thing about this album. And yet, I didn't even see that on this track here. It was just very odd to have an entire track being a fade out. It, it seemed it seemed uh, it seemed counterpoint to what this album was going for. Yeah, I agree. I think that was the biggest thing that disappointed me about the final track. It's instead of leaving it with an exclamation point that they've been building up to, it was it, an ellipsis. Yeah. I, I wanted to read a little bit of lyrics here. That's what I was trying to trying to look at because, you know, again, you'd see whether it girl at least is is followed through with the lyrics. Um, you the it girl. Hey, hey, my inspiration. My compass spinning, baby, it's the right destination. Come on, come on, tell me what I came for. I got treasure to hide, so let's keep it from the strangers. Your waves, they wash over me. Your tides, they pull me back to sea. When the, when you bite on my lip and hold my hand and moan again. And then it goes into, like, you know, I'ma hold that ass. It's just, it's so contrary to It Girl. Yeah. It's It seems like this should really be taking the sweeter approach. Well, and, and, the, but, and also the... Uh, it's kind of mixing it. I think really that's what he's going for. He's going for the mixed bag here. Mix the sexual with the... Uh, sweet. With the sweet. And he, as far as he's concerned, you know, there should be no separator, no line whatsoever. Which, Which I can... works in instances, not in every case. Well, like, lyrically... I get what he's going for. I just it didn't impact me the same way because I believe that you can mix the sweet and of the sexy. Of course, it did. Obviously, that's what we all hope for, you know. But I don't know. Maybe maybe in the in the in the medium of of lyrical work, I feel like that sort of needs to be stressed as to you know when there is one thing, when there is another, when one ends, when one begins. When well, you just so- sort of list it in commas, I see the statement he's making. But it's a little odd. Well, I think that's the problem, too, is lyrically it wasn't stated as strongly. Like, lyrically, he sings it kind of ubiquitously instead of... If there was a separation in style from the verse to the chorus, I could see that. You know, get a little down and dirty with the beat for the for the parts where he's singing about, I'm going to grab that ass. Like, <laughs> do something with it. Make make the, the, the separation, but blend it somehow. <clears throat> he didn't go... It, it, it's that mixed bag and the lack of going full force one way or the other. Because if you think of some, like really iconic ideas and while I actually am not a big fan of the play but 
the, the soliloquy with Romeo and Juliet where tis the east and Juliet is the sun. Just that line right there personifies the idea of it's not just the east and she is the sun. It is the east because she is the sun, because of the way he lights up this world. That's just going, you know, pardon, you know, the vernacular, balls deep. That's going real heavy. That's where, that's sweet. That's beautiful. That's that gorgeous flower that she represents to me. On the other side, I mean, you can get real down and dirty and, you know, let's do it like a, the Discovery Channel. Like, that really is, that's the other side of that coin. He kind of goes wishy-washy between the two. But I still feel like you can do both, but you have to do something with both. That's The whole thing is, it's yeah. wishy-washy. It doesn't just, go one way or the or other. The other yeah. Now, there was even earlier moments, even when the music, I feel like the the uh, the line, go all or go home, could really be applied to many of these uh, cases. Yeah. Ah, it's a shame, though. And this is why we're going to probably go into dance music later on, because as far as the dance floor is concerned, people don't focus on these things a lot. People people don't focus on lyrics, for sure, on the dance floor. You have to be a pretty crazy multitasker or a really odd individual to start, you know, yeah. really honing in on that stuff. Unless it's just the bare minimum, like the chorus, the, the kind of the chant, well, exactly. Well, the dance, when, dan- when listening to dance music and dancing, it's more about singing the lyrics that you can sing along to while you dance, and it's not going to be something super complex, obviously. But that's the thing. I feel like, at least on the musical front, at least on the beat work front, it succeeds. It's still danceable, probably front to back. We'll take not a... everyone is, not every single track here is my taste, and, and, some tracks even exceed my taste in terms of what I would like to dance to or what I expect from dance music. So so it's a really tricky case. I guess I'll head into my wrap-up here. Go for it. Let's start us off. Oh, I really respect what he does. I respect what he does as, a, as, a, as an artist, and I, I kind of just honor his, his, his vocal work. That's another thing that I think is kind of separate here. You know, I was saying that the... the um, the music is separate from from the lyrics, but also the vocals are separate from the lyrics. I know that's that's odd. It seems counterintuitive, but because vocals are the lyrics or lyrics are the vocals, but really they're not. I frequently make a habit of, of tuning out lyrics when I'm so enraptured by the melodies, and there are still several melodies here on this album that are very, very strong. Um, they're enhanced for sure when the music uh, is, is equally as strong. But that's actually the one element, I think, throughout, which... Um, Never fails is the vocals, front to back. He's still got it. He uh, he has what I what I like to call sort of a smoky falsetto. Probably the only artist I could even think of using that descriptor for, and it's it's still just as powerful. In many ways, it sounds even maturer than it did back with um you know Fly or Die. Maybe he's lost a little bit of the belting factor. I feel like that that's a little bit curtailed. Maybe from years of touring or whatnot. I did notice some weakness there on this album, but still the the resonance has it in every single case but if you're talking about groundbreaking tracks tracks that are really like gonna move it forward and move his style forward you're really looking at just kind of gust of wind easily and the part b the freak of um of lost queen that part b and and maybe even to a certain extent earlier on what was it um gush at least in the musical front if not the lyrical front but uh those are your big tracks here and then you sort of have a different side. Because what I just stated are the tracks that are actually moving along music, like really pushing this album to its to its fringes. But then you have the other side. You have Happy, which is, granted it's not groundbreaking, but it is 
it's a track that is tailor-made to be popular and there's something said for that that um that awareness that sell that awareness of your audience and how something will sell i gotta give it the pop uh cred for that because there's plenty of worse pop out there i, I would love for pharrell to be the sole owner of the pop um of the pop industry or to uh basically guide it up and down because everything he touches seems to find its way to the top for good reason um and then there's just a few holes here and those holes are the basically the dance basics those are the tracks that you'd find on any dance album anywhere and they're they're here the fact they have they're under pharrell's name is sort of you know shrug whatever at least they're danceable but they don't go anywhere so that that's how you wind up with a pretty mixed bag here obviously i'll be looking toward the former the, the fringes but you can't expect it especially not in a dance album i think this is a solid four it's just a four through and through because i know its popularity and i know what it could be but it doesn't get to those upper stages especially considering the arc kind of wanes in and out in certain moments but i i, I really do like what he was going for especially considering um it's an important message even within feminist uh uh themed music it's an important message and even in a unique uh message within that to identify girls as individuals rather than just promoting which has already been done this is an individuality album it succeeds on that front it's just solid all around four that's your mark of good the theme is really this what keeps it high up there for me and I'll say that it's only as high because of that idea of paying uh, homage to womankind, which is what he's doing here. Um, even with the hiccups and some of the lyrical work, it, it really is, you know, I love women and here's the reasons why. This is the reasons why you should love women. That's great. Problem is... <laughs> I just think it because of the constraints, the dance idea um, is doing to this album is what really drags it down. Everything's infectious beat-wise, but that's what dance music has to be first and foremost. Everything after that is what sets it apart, and there's just so little after that that sets it apart for me. Uh a little bit of layering awesomeness here, a little bit of vocal work or lyrical work there. There's just, it's it it's very formulaic. It's very safe. I just can't really count it very high. So, this is this is a three two five for me. It's it just I can't I can't find anything in here, specifically besides, Hunter. Almost great, happy happy. That's it. Happy and gusts of the wind. The only two real great songs, and even that, they're barely above fours themselves. You didn't feel the groove. I didn't feel the. I no, I felt. You the felt groove. the groove, and that's it. And okay. that's why it started at like a three, but there was just so little afterwards. Girl is an album for me by Pharrell Williams. That, as far as things I want to dance to, like. We got really great pop music from St. Vincent a few weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago. And I really still believe that St. Vincent is the progenitor of future pop. I think she did a lot of great stuff. And actually, the idea of St. Vincent someday working with Pharrell Williams kind of gives me a stiffy. A little bit. Because <laughs> I think they would do great work together. But that said, 
This is It'd a be an odd combo. But, but he's doing work. With odd others, and I think it could work. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, fantasies aside, Pharrell Williams is an artist that I've always respected and enjoyed. And I said on several occasions, I see him going. He's going to fulfill a potential I think that Michael Jackson would have had if not for the drama that he endured and went through and caused. Pharrell Williams is a brilliant artist who knows how to produce a track. He knows to bring out how to bring out the good in other artists as well as himself. There are tracks here, though, where it does fall... T- fall to cliches that we've seen in dance music before. That said, I also haven't heard a fun dance album in a long time. Like, for me, that I really got into. I mean, we're talking 90s LaBouche. It's the last time I remember a dance album that was just kind of mainstream, but entertaining and something I really like dancing to. That was everywhere. For Williams really has that capacity to be everywhere, and he's proven that. Um, While Happy is still one of my favorite tracks, mostly for personal reasons, it's just infectious and fun and that's it when i really want to be entertained that's what i'm looking for you know i'm looking for substance too but also there are moments where i'm just looking to be entertained and there's a lot of that on this record i agree that songs like gush and songs like gust of of wind really do take it to another level or even all of i i would say lost queen i don't think it's just parts of lost queen i think it's all of lost queen um you know, I, I really see what he's going for, and I think he's going to continue to grow and expand. Um, I'm pretty much in the same neighborhood as Steve. It doesn't hit a five. You know, it, it, it falls fatal to some cliches, but it's definitely a solid four for me. It's above average for sure. I would choose this over most of the pop music that's out there. Um, I really enjoy it. I'm entertained by it. I groove by it. And uh, being at a party last night where I was dancing for quite a bit of time, if he put on any of these tracks just about, I think I would have been able to dance to them with exceptions here and there. I think also it's appropriate considering uh, where it rates with the Daft Punk album that we did, which yeah. is probably the closest in style, um, or at least in intent. Because, yeah. you know, Daft Punk always intended, you know, to be featured at, at in dance halls and clubs and whatnot. And um, that was rated a little bit higher to this yeah. because of the, the deeper element, you know, like the... Uh, Giorgio of Mordor, yeah. you know, type vein where they really get personal. But um, in general, there was still a lot of the same stuff. They just went a little further with it. And I think I rated that just a little bit above four. But in many ways, I still had some of the same problems with that album. Yeah. It, it fell short. It wasn't everything um, it made out to be. But again, I gotta... It comes down to danceability in the end. I I, I think this album knows what it is. I'm, I'm sticking this time. Yeah, and I'm 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 in agreement with Steve. I really like it, and I think that yeah. he has potential to do more, and he showed us a, a smidgen of that here. Um, but he's definitely a talent, and that's undeniable. Um, and we'll see where he goes with it. I think that with dance music, especially, you can fall prey to personal taste more than other works because ultimately, it's got to get you moving. If it doesn't get you moving, it's yeah. not a good dance record. And, everyone and knows. I think that's a part of the problem that John fell with it, and it makes sense. If you it doesn't get you moving or entertained. It fails. It fails to be a good dance album. And and everyone knows, everyone knows four, five, and higher is really where we hold like the upper echelon stuff. The stuff yeah. that really, you know, breaks the mold. And the, and the only instance that I, could, I mean, the only case where I can imagine this album doing such a thing is if he followed through on. I think his his time tested. Uh, it's odd that I would say this in this case that you go back to your, something that's time tested to break the mold. But the funny thing is, I think his style when he wanes from it, there's there's a struggle to find out exactly where he is, but yet when he goes with his style, the style that I I, I noted back with Fly or Die, that, that's the kind of stuff that I think is going to get him further along. He just needs to go further, further and further with it. 
And then my final thought is that I agree that that theme of girl and how important women are to society and how they are individuals really is what kept it at a four for me. Um, overall, listen to it. I mean, if you like dance music, don't miss this one. You know, it's enjoyable. There's enjoyable moments and it's worth listening to. The hardcore dance fans might want to buy it, but, you know, I say it's definitely worth hearing at least. Um, speaking of listening to dance music, though, I felt like this was a good time to actually broach, which we've touched on, but this kind of overarching progression of dance music and how it's changed over the years. I mean, you think about what people danced to in the 50s and 60s, 70s, it was more basic. It was, you know, there was a lot, it was about having a good baseline always. It's got to be something you can dance to. But, you know, you look at well, swing. No, no, look, no, no. You're talking about uh, what white people could dance to. Because let's be honest, it wasn't until the 60s or 70s that dance music became a descriptor for a genre of music instead of just multiple genres of music. Yeah, that's because true. Because there's a lot more interaction with um, nowadays. And if you're talking <clears throat> something like swing, swing was a very specific kind of dance. Kind, yeah. Nowadays, it's a lot more open well, than what we would consider just dance. Now it is. Right now, it is. You're 100% right. That's a funny thing, though. Dance in its, I guess, dance music in its origins has a tendency to be tendency to be a very stubborn genre because it's so intertwined with culture. It's all about, you know, what well, what you grew up with. That's the kind of stuff that probably is going to put you in the groove because groove is something that is really, really difficult to define. I mean, that's the best way I could put it. It's just groove. It's something that really is going to get you moving on a fundamental level. That's what dan dance music has to be. And for a for a more prim and proper, let's say, classical type audience, that could be a waltz, you know? Yeah. But uh, it's, it's, it really depends from person to person. There's just some things that are going to fundamentally turn off people and then attract others, um, which makes it a tricky genre, I think, which is why it's amazing that, that modern uh, dance music has become so universal, so worldly, because, and that's why, of course, it goes toward electronica, because nothing is as worldly as electronica. I, I would say, though, I do have an argument about uh, what, the aside and what we're leading up to here. Like, what really is, like, deeper dance music, I guess might be the way to put it, but it's not a very nice way to put it. Um, and I think that, to be frank, Spain and Portugal have given us the best possible things when it comes to dance. Just the origins, when you start talking about in Spanish music and then in Central and South American music... And its influences on what the dance scene is nowadays, because their music was always, always for dance. Well, there's a pretty interesting history there, and it has to do, I think, with the amount of cultures that they sort of picked up upon. And of course, it has to do, you know, the fact that uh, from Spain, which had a lot of sort of North African influence back in like medieval times, mm -hmm. and then of course by the time across colonization, the colonization comes, yep, they come across here, and then it sort of fuses with us uh, native rhythms, and then of course we. Uh, Slavery is about the only thing we can kind of get from that on the positive front is at least it was an introduction of African music, which may otherwise never have been introduced, which is probably it, the, you know, the, the origin of jazz and all that other stuff. But that's, that's why I was using the term Afro-Cuban a lot today, because that's where, where we get that. A lot of that stuff developed in, in the Caribbean um, And that's where that I'll time. point that modern-day uh, dance music draws its major depth from because when you think back to the 90s and 2000s what you can really start pigeonholing the modern i guess dance music uh think of like 
Enrique or Shakira and how like infectious their music was dance-wise yet you look at someone like Shakira she still had a lot of depth in her actual chordal progression she had a lot of depth in her choice of instrumentation and it still had was was the major components of lyrical work as well but see I would argue well even just in comparison to today's work that it's still about the same level of complexity as some of the tracks on this album like I'm thinking of course the um my hips don't lie which is you know the yeah. number one Shakira song and that that track in terms of chordal progression it's still very simple most of it is along the four chord progression line it shifts in certain areas but it's it's just a different texture which is why I think a lot of dance music is all more about um fooling people than it is about really lowering them in it's sort of providing enough to get enough texture to get you moving enough to make you move in one way or another the highs are going to do different things to you than the lows obviously but that's how you create variety within the genre if you were to really advance chordal progressions if you were to really take that you know far and beyond into the composition realm i'm telling you you would definitely lose people because there comes a certain point where your brain just doesn't want to work on the dance floor it will work to a point and definitely IDM people, intelligent dance music people, would argue that it will continue to work. And believe me, I would love to get into a little bit of IDM music just to see what it's all about. I'm not fluid in the genre. See, I would argue though that your brain turns off when you're dancing. Uh, just because, I mean, there are so many types of dance that are taught. And most of them, John is right, is very heavily influenced oh, by I'm the talking thing. about loose dance like you know never taken a class in your okay. life kind of thing well then that's fine well I'm moving on to so I have a friend who's a dance teacher um, Linda she runs a dance school in Staten Island and whenever she's talking about the classes it's always hip hop modern you know or, or you know they, salsa salsa yep. you know stuff like that merengue all, merengue all these different styles and they're all the, the funny thing about dance styles is while they are so different they also have similarities they very do a lot of them are very rhythm driven or a lot of them are very beat driven like they there's something for you to step with that keeps you in sync with the music and that's what a lot of it is dependent on when you're learning a professional dance or something that's very fine-tuned it's about keeping rhythm and keeping in step yeah and these things i mean they have they have a tradition attached to it which is why there is sort of a specific thing there and i remember that i had i i uh a few Puerto Rican friends that tried to, to teach me salsa. And of course, there's, there's, a, there's a really set method. It's something that was carried down. It's not the kind of thing that you can... It, 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 there's less impromptu, I think, uh, for the average person with cases like that because they are so set. But of course, I started just talking about, you know, dance music that is for anybody or dance music that you at least would hope to gain as wide of an audience as possible. Right. That's really tough to do with um, uh, salsa. Or at least... If you are going to do it, then you need to kind of extrapolate and merge, you know, salsa or merengue with other types of more familiar, more, more popular things. Well, Which yeah. is why I actually spoke of the early, the late '90s, early 2000s, when that became a thing. That it really, even in early '90s, where salsa and Hispanic influences really started hitting uh, pop heavy, like really heavy. Think of because well, you had who art was. You had artists at the time like Enrique Iglesias, Mark Anthony, Shakira, who'd been putting out records before that, but they really broke Lopez. big. Lopez. Uh, um, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, sure. Like, all of these people broke out really big within the mid to late 90s. And every single one of their songs... Were hits. Hit yeah. after hit after hit and after it's, hit. They, they are, for the most part, not every song, but obviously, but, but most part, they're dance music. But I have a point to bring us back to, because we're kind of meandering in a circle, which is fine enough. But... but when talking about dance music, we're talking about very specific parts of dance, but we're 
we're forgetting the thing that I think John brought up at the beginning, which I do want to talk about also, is how this dance is really a super genre. There's really oh, of course. just specific dance music is still made up of many component parts. And I think that's what's really fascinating to me about dance music over other genres or even super genres is that it's evolved in such different ways that take take uh, um, salsa on one end and then IDM on the other and they're so distant from each other and yet have similarities even in their beat work well, if you look for it well there's a circular nature to this um, anyway that's why it's funny that you said we're having a circular conversation because even just what I was saying before and, and what John was saying also about uh, uh, salsa you know being reintroduced to pop music like if you follow the history of it well Technically, there was a pattern there. It comes full circle because salsa and uh, and you know Afro Cuban stuff gave birth to jazz. Jazz gave birth to rock and roll. Rock and roll gave birth to what we perceive as modern pop, which then all of a sudden decides to dip back into good old fashioned salsa to reinvent itself. Because by then, there's kind of you know a six degrees of separation. Which is what I meant by a circular conversation. Is that it, it's it's rapping. A circular. That's that's the nature of genre yeah. shifting. And there's also the idea that, well, all music was really meant to be danced to. All music. Even the stuff that you don't think you could dance to it, well, they probably could if you really wanted to. When, it, when you start talking about the origins of music itself, it was meant to keep a beat, whether it was to pray, whether it was to do a ceremony, or whether it was to do something. But iconically, In it was always... In but it, it, it very quickly grew different roles. Yes, but even so, even so, like, there was always some sort of visual aspect with it. Even the kind of hoity-toity, boring, you know, medieval setting kind of a thing, like, what a king would listen to, it, a lot of it would be, like, either not just dance, but gesticulation-oriented. There's always a visual element built on the on the bones of music no, itself. No, you're right. There were there's a lot of it, the same way I described that there's a pattern, a set pattern to uh to salsa within the way in which you like you know move your foot back, you know, yeah. and then but there's a pattern I was trying to teach it once it never took. But then medieval music had relatively the same thing in which the uh the members on the on the floor would sort of go around each other, establish lines and everything. And yeah, the music had to be kind of intertwined with that. Well and also keep in mind John's right too, because even when we look where rock and roll evolved into things like thrash metal and metal in general, the idea of moshing and mosh pits is it, it, it at its core is a form of dancing? It really is. It's a way to move to the music. It's That's not true. ballet, but, <laughs> where it actually has set ways to. Express but the idea yourself, of when but... you're you're moshing, a good mosh pit is not about punching someone in the head. That happens as a result of a bad mosh pit. A good mosh pit started from you know the idea of skanking and dancing in place, and then even thrashing and swinging your arms in place. But it's still a form of dance. And what's fascinating is that. Every culture, I feel, and every type of music has tried to find a way, if the songs require it, but to now, dance. You're almost describing a chicken and the egg situation because, which in the case first. of like punk, which you know, like, was punk intended for dancing, or did the dancing that that did that really develop that form of punk? And did that develop that sort of heavy style music that was conducive to moshing? And 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 that's what I'm bringing up. Yeah. And there's no yes or like right or wrong answer. It could be either, and that's what I think is so interesting about it yeah. is as music evolves over the years and what I'm essentially getting at overall is as dance music has evolved over the years this idea of dance can really branch out to almost anything dancing dance music is one of the largest branching super genres I feel well there's also that um, 
I mean, I, I feel like, just from a personal front, I, I might say that the music came first in this particular instance. I mean, John, you're making the claim, of course, you're going back to, like, the birth of music as it is. Where, yeah, they probably had a center, ceremonial yeah. origin. But many genres, of course, have begun without the intention of, of, um, of, uh, of dancing being a thing. It was probably just written to be written because that's what the artist wanted to get at. And I think that's probably true with punk. It's just so happened that, that once that music was out there, it had that, that moshing nature to it. So then, you know, then it's just sort of a feedback loop. And But th- that's the whole thing. If there's a rhythm, you can move to it. Truly rhythmless music. Yeah, yeah, it's got a beat, and I can dance to it. That, that's all. That, but that is that is true. You can at least sway to it, or yeah. tap your head, or tap your yeah. feet, and that is the beginning of any dance. Well, no, actually, no. You're making a good point because in that case, it actually does start with the musician himself, because of course the musician needs to get into the groove to even write it in the first place. Yeah. And every you know, most musicians will have some form of kind of grooving to their own instrument. Even even as a piano player, it you really kind of have to get into it in order to feel it to actually make it quality if, you, if you're stiff up there then it's not gonna it's not gonna be impactful and also the idea that like even with slow songs the the, the most danced to songs at weddings especially for our first dances and this and that are those slow romantic you know beautiful songs that have a dance to their own you don't need a fast song to be able to be danceable <laughs> some slow songs have wonderful wonderfully gorgeous dancing as well what's said that most waltzes tend to be uh because of just the, the simple you know one two three one two three nature and of course waltz you know you can still find that in almost every single genre today or some form of that three four time most of them have dancing in mind yeah most not all but most well what i like is when you find dancing within a song that you wouldn't typically dance to like i had a friend who at his wedding his first dance with his wife was to nothing else matters by metallica a metal band but that song is very beautiful and slow and finely crafted and they found a dancing rhythm in it that was really great for a beautiful slow dance which is interesting to me you know because that's not a band that one typically dances to yet this song was really good for that there's flailing to it and there is raising and bobbing of heads and arms well and i think that's see, what that's for the choreographers that's, to take after that as to what they choose to sort of reinvent the the <clears throat> the actual motion there. Yeah. And that, they're and, pushing the, the the boundaries on that front. And that's where I'm driving the conversation is choreography. That's, a, that's interpretation. Yeah. The your interpretation a choreographer has for music is really the truest thing to to music is when you want dance, it takes a good choreography to really pr- pursue and show that dance. Which Even is, an MC could be considered that. Yeah. yeah, and that's actually why when you start talking about things like ballet, the choreographer becomes uh, a lot of times more important than the actual dancers because it's their per, uh, projection of their vision of anything from a, as iconic as like Swan Lake onward into the actual piece itself. Really, they're just trying to find people that can live up to their dream of what this song can represent, this piece can represent. And boy, do I have an anecdote for that, which is going to raise the, the, the exact problems that can lie within that. Uh... Biggest example, Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring. He wrote The Rite of Spring. Of course, anyone might know that as being the uh, featured and the, um, the dinosaur segment of the original Fantasia. The idea behind Rite of Spring, what, that Stravinsky wrote it for, was to be sort of like a pagan ritual. The whole entire ballet would be this, this sort of Celtic uh, welcoming of springtime, right? The Rite of Spring idea. Now, of course... It was a very complex piece. 
And frankly, the way in which we've interpreted growing up with Fantasia over the years, you know, dinosaurs, the, the, the development of life, the birth of Earth, and the death of, design, of the dinosaurs probably comes to mind to me much more than any kind of Celtic ritual. Sure. But you have to accept that was the idea at the time. And then beyond that, it wasn't just a piece of music, it was a ballet. The visual element was not what we knew as Fantasia, as an animation, it was dancers coming on on stage, ballet dancers, to actually perform this ritual in a, in a very grand way. And there was this, um, Nijinsky was the name of, the, was the primary choreographer for the time. This is, you know, the early day, this is Tsarist Russia here, and there was a very rich tradition of ballet. They basically owned the the uh, the medium at that time, and Jinsky was one of the premier uh, uh, choreographers for the time. And he went out to do this really bizarre choreography that may or may not have really matched up with the music. We'll never know. To be fair, though, it's really hard to match up with anything that like the Rite of Spring. Rite of Spring is probably one of the most complex pieces ever written. W literally one of the most complex. And yet, it was intended to be danced to. That is contrary to everything we've been saying today, considering that, you know, we say, oh, well, you know, you kind of got to be constrained within the dance community, but ballet dancers would do bizarre things. And guess what? It flopped. Because no one was able to get into it. They weren't able to take the music for the music because they were forced to see the dancing that was being done to the music and they couldn't accept it. There was something off there that people literally walked out halfway through the show and said, this is just too bizarre. And, you know, it was that classic interplay between composer and uh, choreographer where the composer blames Nijinsky for having really crappy choreography and then Nijinsky blames uh, Stravinsky for having bizarre music. That's just... That's just a classic case of how it can fail. Yeah, well, and that also ultimately came down to interpretation. It is. Which it is, is what exactly what we're talking about. That's yeah. the thing. That's, in that case, that's what I'm saying. Like, that started with, of course, the idea of Stravinsky. I mean, granted, I, I guess he knew in his head, of course, this is going to be a ballet, but he didn't have any thought as to what the moves were going to be. A composer doesn't really think that way. He thought of maybe some elements where there could be something going on, something vague, but I'm sure he did not have it outlined. He didn't have any, any semblance of choreography uh, written out in his music, I'm sure. And that's just, that's sort of a, uh, I guess, a fatal flaw, which I guess we try to avoid nowadays when we... Um, you know, in the Broadway scene, we try to have it a lot more integrated. Um, it's not just, you know, write the music, hand it off. It's it's a very um, well, that actually careful speaks, dual process. That, that speaks to the, the whole, like, swamp of um, older pop bands getting shows. Like Jersey Boys. And all the stuff that's coming out there. You're taking these older pop bands, 1940s, mm. 50s, 60s. And their pop music was designed to be danced to and to be sung and to be kind of a showpiece. But, you know... So you're proposing that they figured that since these guys had it written, had the intention from the get-go, that they would be more appropriate for those kind of shows? Yeah, and you, how many different shows have opened up on and off Broadway just in New York in the last few months? Last well, few months, not even years, well, also, months. Yeah. Well, also keep in mind stuff like The Beatles and uh, the movie, uh, That Thing You Do, which is essentially spoofing The Beatles' rise or a similar rise, is the idea that all of those old rock bands were designed to dance to. Like, that was the idea. You get them on a show and everyone just jumps well, on the floor and dances. Maybe early Beatles, but certainly after a point, I'm oh, sure yeah. they had But their that's what I'm saying. Break. That's what that thing you do is based on, is early Beatles and this meteoric, meteoric rise from the classic rock band. And, like... 
that that idea that you can dance to it, you know, and you can find dance really anywhere you look, if you really look, and that's why kind of all it really takes is an idea, yeah. which is probably the YouTube sensation. You know, there's been plenty of crazy dances that people have have done that they invented themselves that yeah. they just felt like sort of posting as a sort of you know amateur like hey look at this thing i can do sort of show and tell and it catches on it catches on and then all of a sudden you you develop a worldwide craze and that's all because of one idea that no one else ever thought of based on a certain music and penultimately i think that's what i'm trying to say is that's why i think dance is kind of this super genre because it just branches out so far and can also uh start so many different things i'll say that dance isn't even a genre it just is it is an integral part of music I'd agree with that. It's a separate medium. It's a separate medium. Separate medium. It's a medium that it just no, it's, it's tied. Just, it's it's just tied a, in the way that cinema ties together. You know the the visual. It's a presentation music. of music. Not even a separate. It's a presentation of music. It's yeah. fairly hard to dance without music. Fairly hard. We'll 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 yeah, say I, that. I think we'll I think we can that. agree on that. I'll, I'll I do have one final question. Can't counter that, uh, Steve. <laughs> you, you mentioned Fantasia. What's the name of the last uh, piece with the demon? Not on Bald Mountain. Okay. You just wanted to know. I just really wanted to know it was bothering me. <laughs> because, no, the visuals... Oh, well, and then right after that, it really technically ends without Ave Maria. Yes. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, that that I love the visuals of that. I want to see a dance with that. That would be very interesting. I mean, if you could put together a... If you can get a choreographer, if you want to choreograph it yourself. Yes, we all know. Food for thought. <laughs> yes, and everyone knows Fantasia. Um, Everyone should know Fantasia. I actually forget about the second one, but definitely watch the first one. No, watch the second one just for just for Rhapsody in Blue. Actually, Fantasia would be something worth discussing on the podcast at a future date. I think that's something we should dive into. I would do that in a heartbeat. So we should look into that. I mean, I've been wanting to depth analyzation. I've wanted to do a musical album and movie analysis for a while as an episode, but I don't know if Fantasia Fantasia really fits the bill, though. I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of divorced one aspect to the other. I'm ignoring John and talking to Steve now because John's not making sense. Steve, no, do you have a it's called sarcasm. spam mail for us before we uh, get into our wrap-up and our upcoming stuff? Do you want me to have a spam mail for you? I'd like you to. Uh, I'm kind of over it. Oh. Stunning story there. What happened after? Thanks. You know what? I'm back on board. <laughs> who is that by? That was by Acne Vulgaris. Which is why we know it's a fake comment. It was probably on a picture, right? No, this was actually on our, a recent podcast, episode 87, The Ultimate Rose Doctor Mixtape, featuring Kim and Sage of Head Over Fields. Interesting. Feels. It yeah, almost feels and like a real comment. Considering it's, yes, stunning story there. What happened after? So we need to go back to what we said and, and try to no, but here's the whole thing. figure out what we missed. It, you know? it, it wasn't a story. There is no after. It was a complete piece. It's like, and then... But there is no end then. He can't no end not then. analyze no end spams. No, I, I've can't. determined this. No end then. Uh, we're moving forward. It was Stop. done once. It was an idea, and then it just took... <laughs> it just fly. So, um, first thing I want to bring up is... Uh, well, I also want to, again, thank all of those people I got to work with over the weekend for the 24-hour musicals. It's a great project, and it produces such great art. And I'm, it's a pleasure to be a part of it. So if any of you guys are listening, thanks. Next, I want to move on to next week is... Next Monday and Tuesday is the Jewish holiday, Passover. Um, that, since that's usually when we record, we're taking a week off. So there will be no new podcast next week. Um, so enjoy your week off, and we'll see you on the the week of the 21st. Does where, this mean I'm going to have to come up with more Jewish puns? Probably. Mm, not necessarily. So then, of course, the following week when we come back on the 21st, the week of the 21st, we're going to have another guest. 
So uh, continuing our tradition of having tons of guests because I made friends. Um, this is Lewis Logic. I've mentioned him before on the podcast. He was at that show that I wrote about, um, the Nerdcore show I went to a couple months ago. Um, he's a fantastic performer and a wonderful dude. And he's bringing us the album, Roman Numeral 2. So it's the Roman Numeral 2. And it's by the band Unknown Mortal Orchestra. So um, we're also going to talk a little bit about Lewis's music. Um, you can find Lewis Logic's latest album, Look on the Blight Side, on Spotify. Um, definitely give it a listen. We're, we're definitely going to be talking about his newest music. Yeah. And so uh, definitely check, tune in for that. So we will see you in two weeks. Enjoy your Passover if you're Jewish. You're getting so many guests here. I just have this image of you going into various bars and, and eateries with that song, barely even knowing the people. Be my guest. Be my guest. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, all the guests that we have on, I've gotten to know pretty well, and or know all of their music. So and his, his accent. That's not, that's he doesn't, not a, he doesn't uh, have a I sexy would, accent. I would respond to. He doesn't have a sexy accent like Luminaire. I don't. No, I don't, don't sing no. like Luminaire. Luminaire. Um, and on that terrifying <laughs> note, remember as always, music is life, and, and life, life is, is good. good.